A Popular History of Ireland, Book Two, Chapter Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. James Joyce in Context, Volume One, Telemachus. A Popular History of Ireland, Book Two, Chapter Two. King Malachy I by Thomas Darcy McGee. Malaglan, or Malachy I, sometimes called of the Shannon, from his patrimony along that river, brought back again the sovereignty to the center, and in happier days might have become the second founder of Tara. But it was plain enough then, and it is tolerably so still, that this was not to be an age of restoration. The kings of Ireland, after this time, says the quaint old translator of the annals of Clongmacnoise, had a good little of it down to the days of King Brian. It was, in fact, a perpetual struggle for self-preservation, the first duty of all governments, as well as the first law of all nature. The powerful action of the Gentile forces, upon an originally ill-centralized and recently much-abused constitution, seemed to render it possible that every new ardry would prove the last. Under the pressure of such a deluge, all ancient institutions were shaken to their foundations, and the venerable authority of religion itself, like a hermit in a mountain torrent, was contending for the hope of escape or existence. We must not, therefore, amid the din of the conflicts through which we are to pass, condemn without stint or qualification those princes who were occasionally driven, as some of them were driven to that last resort, the employment of foreign mercenaries, and those mercenaries often anti-Christians, to preserve some show of native government and kingly authority. Grant that in some of them the use of such allies and agents cannot be justified on any plea or pretext of state necessity, where base ends or unpatriotic motives are clear or credible. Such treason to country cannot be too heartily condemned. But it is indeed far from certain that such were the motives in all cases, or that such ought to be our conclusion in any in the absence of sufficient evidence to that effect. Though the Gentile power had experienced toward the close of the last reign such severe reverses, yet it was not in the nature of the men of Norway to abandon a prize which was once so nearly being their own. The fugitives who escaped, as well as those who remained within the strong ramparts of Waterford and Dublin, urged the fitting out of new expeditions to avenge their slaughtered countrymen and prosecute the conquest. But defeat still followed on defeat. In the first year of Malachy, they lost 1,200 men in a disastrous action near Castle Dermont, with Oclobar, the prince-bishop of Cashel, and in the same or the next season they were defeated with a loss of 700 men by Malachy at Fork in Meath. In the third year of Malachy, however, a new northern expedition arrived in 140 vessels, which, according to the average capacity of the long ships of that age, must have carried with them from 7,000 to 10,000 men. Fortunately for the assailed, this fleet was composed of what they called Black Gentiles, or Danes, as distinguished from their predecessors, the Fair Gentiles, or Norwegians. 
a quarrel arose between the adventurers of the two nations as to the possession of a few remaining fortresses, especially of Dublin, and an engagement was fought along the Liffey, which lasted for three days. The Danes finally prevailed, driving the Norwegians from their stronghold and cutting them off from their ships. The new northern leaders are named Anlaf or Olaf, Citric or Sigurd, and Ivar, the first of the Danish earls, who established themselves at Dublin, Waterford, and Limerick, respectively, though the immediate result of the arrival of the great fleet of 1847 relieved for the moment the worst apprehensions of the invaded, and enabled them to rally their means of defense. Yet as Denmark had more than double the population of Norway, it brought them into direct collision with a more formidable power than that from which they had been so lately delivered. The tactics of both nations were the same. No sooner had they established themselves on the ruins of their predecessors in Dublin than the Danish forces entered East Meath under the guidance of Kenneth, a local lord, and overran the ancient Mensal from the sea to the Shannon. One of their first exploits was burning alive 260 prisoners in the Tower of Trilloy, in the island of Low Gower, near Dunshallen. The next year, his allies having withdrawn from the neighborhood, Kenneth was taken by King Malachy's men, and the traitor himself drowned in a sack in the little river Nanny, which divides the two baronies of Dulic. This death penalty by drowning seems to have been one of the useful hints which the Irish picked up from their invaders. During the remainder of this reign the Gentile War resumed much of its old local and guerrilla character. The provincial chiefs and the Ardry occasionally employed bands of one nation of the invaders to combat the other, and even to suppress their native rivals. The only pitched battle of which we hear is that of the Two Plains, near Coolstown, King's County, in the second last year of Malachy, A.D. 859, in which his usual good fortune attended the king. The greater part of his reign was occupied, as always must be the case with the founder of a new line, in coercing into obedience his former peers. On this business he made two expeditions into Munster and took hostages from all the tribes of the Eugean race. With the same object he held a conference with all the chiefs of Ulster, Hugh of Ellach only being absent, at Armagh in the fourth year of his reign, and a general feast or assembly of all the orders of Ireland at Rathew in West Meath in his thirteenth year, A.D. 857. He found, notwithstanding his victories and his early popularity, that there are always those ready to turn from the setting to the rising sun, and toward the end of his reign he was obliged to defend his camp, near Armagh, by force, from a night assault from the discontented prince of Alec, who also ravaged his patrimony, almost at the moment he lay on his deathbed. Malachy I departed this life on the thirteenth day of November, A.D. 860, having reigned sixteen years. Mournful is the news to the gale, exclaimed the elegant bard. Red wine is spilt into the valley. Aaron's monarch has died. And the lament contrasts his stately form as he rode the white stallion, 
with the striking reverse when his only horse this day that is the bier on which his body was borne into the churchyard is drawn behind two oxen end of a popular history of ireland book two chapter two king malachy the first recording by david lawrence in brampton ontario july the fourth two thousand and nine